Um, one of the things I love to do, I'm sure you've all been waiting. What does Drew love to do in the summer? I love, I still love playing Foursquare, but this is like, uh, has been, anyone else Foursquare player? Anyone else growing up? This was like, okay, we got a couple guys. Is that Josiah? Josh? Yeah, I played Foursquare with you guys. Pretty good. I think I'm better, but you're pretty good. Um, I love this game. It's so simple. Uh, you gather friends, you stand in line. As soon as you're out, you know you get back in pretty soon. It's a game we play at camp. We play on trips. I remember youth group trips where we got rained out of something and we taped off four square courts and hallways of places we stayed and we played long into the night games of four square. Uh, still love it. And this week I even got the chance to play a little four square. Uh, Sadie had a group of us over to a park and we were hanging out with kids and Got to play a little Foursquare. I got very schooled very quickly. Not quite as agile as I used to be, um, but it was very fun. It's a great summer thing. It makes me feel like summer. There's something about it, it feels like childhood and summer and uh, arguments around the Foursquare. If it hit the line or didn't, I love it. It's, it's a great, great summer game. We're, we're going to get back to this. This has actually something to do with our story today. We're in a series called Not Just Another Story, and we're looking at stories in the Gospels, um, some that Jesus tells a story or he might tell a really quick little story to, to try to explain how the kingdom of God works, how the gospel works. And so this week, we have the story of the squabbling children. That's what I'm calling it. Jesus didn't call it that. Um, this feels like four square, doesn't it? Squabbling children. You wanna watch a, you wanna watch a verbal argument for 45 minutes on the playground, you go to the four square court. Uh, and so today we're gonna look at this story that Jesus tells. It says something about the kingdom of God. It's not just a kind of cool story or a moral story. It's not just a kid's story that out of it comes like, be nice to people. It's something that's explaining a reality that changes us. And so that's what we're doing all summer and excited to continue doing that. We spent a few weeks doing that, looking at a few stories and they've all so far um, these first few stories all have come out of this announcement that Jesus makes. And then, he, and then he actually shows how this announcement is true. And so he makes this in Luke 4. He comes to his hometown and he goes into the synagogue and he reads this passage from Isaiah 61. We've looked at this for a few weeks, but he reads this passage. It's really helpful to understand this. Reads this passage and announces something. Actually reads Isaiah 61, part of it, and is announcing something that's incredible uh, and actually, uh, initially they're excited and then they decide to try to throw them off a cliff. Uh, but then it kind of acts this out, shows it. And so I just want to start there so we can get to the story, so we understand the context of this. So this is Jesus in the synagogue and he opens the scroll and he reads this passage. It's from Isaiah. It's talking about something that's going to happen and Jesus is telling us it is happening. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Last week, we looked at this year of the Lord's favor, this idea of the year of Jubilee. Finally, there'll be a time when, when people are healed, when freedom is proclaimed, when sight comes to the blind, when things are made right. And ultimate, like the better jubilee, that Jesus is the jubilee of jubilees. And so Jesus is saying, there's a time where someone's gonna come and say, the spirit of the Lord is on them. They're anointed and they've come to share good news, the gospel to poor people, but not just poor, like spiritually poor, broken people, all of us. And they sent him to proclaim this freedom and this sight to the blind and this freedom to the oppressed and burdened. And he says, and I, it's here. 
and you're looking at it. And so Jesus then leaves. They don't throw him off a cliff. Uh, spoiler there. And he goes and actually starts healing people. He starts explaining what the Sabbath is. He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He starts uh, making people whole who are not whole, whose hands didn't work. He's feeding, he's making right, he's making people whole, he's restoring people. And we see this continue through the book of Luke. And he tells these stories, explain, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. You, You might think you know what this looks like. This is what it looks like. And I'm right here. And so he continues on. And this week, we're gonna look at this passage Um, where he's going to talk about this little story he's going to tell about children. But I want us to understand where this passage is. It's sandwiched in a place that's really important. Some of those times where it's really good to know that in the gospel, uh, in this story you're reading, the other stories. Because if you read read the story by itself, it might be a little confusing. But if you read it in the context, you go like, oh, I I can see what's going on. So real quick summary. In Luke 7, 1 through 10, there's a story of the faith of the centurion who comes to Jesus to say one of his servants is ill. And Jesus actually says this incredible thing about him. When Jesus heard this, this guy came and said, I know you can do it. I know you can heal. I mean, it's faith he has that Jesus can do this. Jesus, he says, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. He's saying this to God's people, to to religious people. I haven't found faith in any of you than the man who had been sent return home and found the servant well. This is one of these cool stories where they, he comes to Jesus to say, come and heal my servant. I know you can do it. And Jesus knows that your faith is so strong that while we're talking, I've already healed your servant back home. And then there's, a, which is incredible, right? This is crazy. And then the next story we hear is that Jesus raises someone's son from the dead He goes to him and says, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Just these two alone. If Jesus said, I'm here to restore things, make things right, I'm the one, I'm the Messiah. And then he went and just did these, you'd hope, that would spread and you go, that's enough. I just watched him raise someone from the dead, pull them from the depths of, of death. No one else is doing that. This clearly is a different person. This clearly, I think, is God. This is the Messiah, right? So this happens, and then our passage happens, which we're going to zoom into in a second. We're going to go and look at that. And then right after that, we hear more stories. So it's all these stories of these incredible moments where Jesus is acting out these rest, this restoration that he's bringing, this new life he's bringing, these rescuing people from death, even people who weren't the religious people that they thought were the ones that he came for. And then right after, Jesus has this moment where he goes actually to a Pharisee's house, this religious leader's house, who's unsure of Jesus. Right before this, we're going to hear about this. They're unsure if he's really the guy he says he is. In fact, they're considering, like, maybe we need to get rid of this guy. So he goes to one of their houses, and this woman comes, who's a, who they call a sinful woman, and she so much, uh, like, worships Jesus, shows her faith to him, that she actually, like, washes his feet because the people at the house didn't wash his feet, didn't show him that respect or didn't kind of kneel to him, right? In the way that we get to worship him. And he says to to this woman, Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So again, we hear a story of someone who was an outsider they wouldn't think would have been healed, who actually goes into the home of someone who's resistant, who's, who's not sure about this Jesus, 
And, and she like walks right into his home with Jesus and they like, Jesus shows how this restoration happens again with someone's faith in him, turning to him saying, you are the one who's rescued us. You are the Messiah. So sandwiched in the middle of this and a whole bunch of other, you keep reading past it and before it are all these moments. We have a moment that we're gonna now zoom into. It's like we're gonna click on this and zoom into Luke 7, 18 through 23. This is our passage for today. It's gonna share a, a kind of story of what's happening and Jesus is gonna share a little little mini story about some squabbling children that will help us understand, I think, ourselves and maybe help us think through why uh, it's so hard to turn to him. So this is from Luke 7. If you want to read along, all of it will be up here. Otherwise, love for you to crack open your Bible if you have it or turn it on if you have it. Um, this is from Luke 7. John's disciples told him about all these things. So the things we just heard about, healing, raising someone from the dead. So John, we're going we're gonna to talk about John in a second. This is John the Baptist. His disciples have come because John's disciples uh, <clears throat> uh, told him about all these things, had told John about these calling. Two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask. So they heard about these things Jesus is doing. And John, who's imprisoned at this point, he's Jesus' cousin, disciple of Jesus, the one who came to announce who Jesus was. He's imprisoned. And he says to some of his followers, some of his guys, he says, hey, go and talk to him. Ask him this for me because I can't. So they say, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So they say, John needs to know, are you, are you, the, are you the one? Like, are you, are you really the one, the Jubilee of Jubilees? Are you the one who's come to rescue it? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who has come and should we expect someone else? That was nice. They actually did ask the question John asked them to ask. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Just in one sentence, it says, he's doing all this stuff, restoring people, healing, changing lives, bringing sight to people who didn't have sight. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what we have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are, are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Do you hear he say, he just recited again Isaiah 61. All the things that we heard about the coming Messiah who's gonna restore things and make things right, who's gonna rescue God's people, that good news, those are the things I'm doing. He doesn't really answer their question, are you the one to come? Should you expect someone else? He just says, uh, tell John, all those things are happening through me. So, so he can understand, yes, I am the one. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So John's disciples come. If you can imagine John, a little taste of the, no, the history we know of John. John was the one, I remember in the story when Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, comes to, to Elizabeth and Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy because they're so excited that they, they hear the news of the Messiah coming. There's this incredible moment where they go, oh, he's here. He's right there in your belly. That's him, the, the jumping for joy. That was John jumping for joy in his mom's womb because he was the one who was coming to tell the world, he's here, he's come. And so even, even in his womb, he was already telling the world and excited about Jesus coming. And then John's the one who's baptizing people. He gathers people to say, hey, come do this, this ritual, this um, thing in the water where we're gonna dunk you in the water as a symbol of repentance. So you're saying, I wanna turn back to God. So they'd come to John and John would say, hey, I, 
I know you're here. There's one that's coming though, is the one who's gonna change everything. He's the one who's gonna restore us and bring us life. I'm baptizing you with water. He's gonna baptize you with the spirit and change us uh, and bring life to you and to your soul. And then we know, the other thing we know about John is that he then is in prison. And in fact, the end of John's story is that he's beheaded. And so John is currently imprisoned and you have to know, I, I mean, if I was him, I'd go, hey, cousin, like, remember how you were gonna come and like rescue stuff? And like, you literally said, like free people from prison, I'm in prison. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would, that's what I would say. Hey, Jesus, remember, I came and I'm telling people about you. I'm like, God has made me, even in the womb, I was excited about this. And I'm announcing you and you, uh, I'm now in prison. It seems like the opposite of maybe what was gonna happen. There had to be some kind of doubts. Is this really what's happening? Is this really what's going on? Also, he doesn't get to see those things, right? He might hear about them. He didn't actually get to stand there and watch someone raised from the dead or someone get sight or someone stand and walk who had never walked. And so John's asking a very good question, I think. Um, And he sends them to say, are you really him? And then Jesus affirms, these things are happening, John. Go back and tell John they're happening. This is it. I've come to rescue and restore God's people. So John's friends go back to him. And then Jesus actually talks to the people there. He's, he's been healing people. The people have come to gather to, to see what he's doing, to be healed, to hear this good news. <clears throat> and after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? He's talking about when they went to actually see John. A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go to see? A, a man dressed in fine clothes. We know that John wore like camel skins and ate bugs. That's not John. No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. You, didn't, you went to the wilderness. You didn't go to the palace. What did you, uh, but what did you go to see? A prophet? That's what they went. They went, they heard this John guy is talking about God's coming back and he's a, he's a voice for God in this time. That's who you went to see. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. So we hear Old Testament's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you and you'll prepare, who will prepare your way before you. There's someone who's gonna come ahead and say, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. I'm so excited. Even in the womb, he's gonna say, he's coming. That's, what the, that's how you interpret the jumping in the womb. <laughs> he's coming in baby talk. And Jesus says, he's the one. John was that one. This is incredible. My cousin John is the one who is announcing the coming and I'm the one that is coming, the way. I tell you, among those born of women, there's no greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's an interesting statement. He, He starts it by going, John, among all the people who are born of a woman, there's no one greater than John. What a compliment. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Okay, I don't know if that was, maybe it's not a compliment at all. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you were born of, of like flesh. John is born of flesh. And he, it's the greatest because he's announcing, he's proclaiming, pointing to the one who will rescue all of us. And those of you who are baptized in the spirit, who are, who do come and say yes to me, who are made new, whose hearts change, who go from, from, uh, broken, hard, 
hearts to fleshly, alive hearts. All these things we hear about how, how we talk about what it means to come into the kingdom of God, to follow Jesus, to put faith in him. The stories we're seeing of these people all around this passage and throughout the gospels, those people are even greater than John because they've been changed in like a way that just even like a person being born isn't. There's a, there's a wholeness, a spiritual change, a whole a wholeness to a person in that. So Jesus is here saying, I love John and what he said. Do you understand there's something even greater? Don't look to John and go, I wish I could be like John, a prophet like him who announces the Messiah. You can actually enter into this kingdom of God. So he's still hanging out with these people and then there's an interaction he now has with these people. He's kind of encouraged us in what John has done and what he's doing. And then all the people, even the tax collectors, it says that even like the lowest of the low, when, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. So these are people who were baptized by John and then John points them to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they, did not, they had not been baptized by John. So he's, he's laying out there's these different people. Some actually were followers of John and some were like, I don't like John or I didn't get baptized by John. So then Jesus tells us this little this little kind of story, this thought about, can you imagine this is what you're doing? And he, he uses kids to explain it. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? It's like, how could I explain to you how, how you're all acting? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. Imagine this, kids sitting around yelling at each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge or a funeral song and you didn't cry. We, we played a song so we should dance. We, we turned on some music and you guys wouldn't dance and we sang this sad song at a funeral and you weren't crying. There's this kind of squabbling that happens. For John the Baptist came, he explains, this is what's happening. John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine. So John was religious in that way, like he wasn't, he was fasting and praying pointing people to this one who's coming, and you say, he has a demon. Just even a phrase that's kind of used, just say like, he's terrible, right? And we don't always say that today, but you might say like, he's garbage. He came and he was like fasting and praying. He was doing these really holy religious things. And you say, oh, there's something wacky with that guy. And then the son of man, this Jesus comes and he's eating and drinking. He's hanging out with with sinners, tax collectors, people who you're like, you shouldn't hang out with those people. Those are bad people. And you say, oh, and he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So John does all these things that you'd hope you'd say, oh, that's really incredible and honorable. And you say, oh, he's demon possessed. And Jesus comes and he's now hanging out with these people and caring for them and giving them life. And you say, oh, he's a drunkard. He's a glutton. He just hangs out with these people and eats and drinks is Mary with them. You say, you're just, you're arguing over like, Jesus doesn't look like we thought he was gonna look. John doesn't look like he thought he was gonna look. Neither one of you really know. You're not following the rules that I've set up for what the Messiah is gonna look like and what it looks like to follow God. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. We're, we'll see. This word wisdom is really helpful because wisdom points us to Jesus and that we even see all the way back in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom, right, is is God first. Like knowing God, understanding him, turning to him is the beginning of wisdom. That's what wisdom looks like. 
And so sandwiched in between these incredible things happening where people are celebrating, people are going in awe, people are in wonder. They're saying, why is there being changed? We have a moment where Jesus says, and then some of you in the midst of this incredible life that's happening, in this renewal, in this, in this restoration, you're arguing like children. Oh, you're not doing that the right way. You're not doing that the right way. And John's not doing this. And Jesus isn't doing this the way we think he should be doing this. Well, our friend Tacumbo is, is gonna uh, weigh in on this. I think it's helpful. The reason for rejecting Jesus and John has nothing to do with the message they brought and everything to do with the wills of those doing the rejecting. Nothing pleased them. They were moved neither by feasting or mourning. They complained that John fasted too often and ate a strict, restricted diet of bugs. And so he was a demon, a catch-all phrase for someone abnormal. And they equally compared that Jesus he referred to as a son of man, a term Jesus used a lot for himself, did not fast enough, and he called himself a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? So whatever, you fast too much, you don't fast enough. Even today, it is very difficult to bring people like this to Christ. They think they have all the answers. But as Jesus points out, they are foolish to refuse to enter the kingdom of God by the path of repentance from sin and acceptance of Jesus. He's highlighting here, Jesus is saying you're no, nothing's good. You, you want to figure it out. And you, you will not enter the kingdom of God because you're spending your time figuring it out and deciding who's right and who's wrong. Let's go to our friend R.C. Sproul. I found this great picture of R.C. Sproul this week. Is this awesome? Anyone grow up with the videos of R.C. Sproul where he was on the chalkboard doing the... Those are some uh, pretty impactful for me. I was younger. Anyway, I love this picture. This sweater's awesome. Back to R.C. Sproul. He has something important to tell us about this passage. One of the most difficult things in the world is to accept grace. I love that statement because it seems wacky. You go, well, grace is this free gift that I've been rescued by God, that Jesus comes and heals me even when I'm dead, brings life to me. Of course, that's, why wouldn't I accept that? But I think it's true. One of the most difficult things in the world is to accept grace. Our natural desire when we sin is to make up for our own sins. I've turned away from God, I've sinned. I gotta do something to make up for that. Let other people cling to a savior, but not me. I'll never need it. I'll never grovel in the dust. If those are your thoughts, ask yourself if God really is being unjust by requiring of you that you humble yourself. He's just asking us to humble ourselves. May I suggest that it is not God who is unjust and God does not need to be justified. We need to be justified and we come to him for cleaning. That sentiment is so true in my life that I sin and I go like, I'll figure this out and maybe I'll get to a point where I'll say, God, okay, maybe I need your help now. We're, doing, we're, we're squabbling children, we're, we're figuring it out and then when we maybe need it, we'll, we'll turn to God for it. We're, we're playing Foursquare, but we never play Foursquare. So this week I had an opportunity to play Foursquare with some kids and I got this sweet moment. I remembered why I also get frustrated playing Foursquare. Because in Foursquare, sometimes you spend 20, 30 minutes deciding what rules to play. You spend 15 minutes deciding if it hit a line. Uh, you start and you stop the game. People quit because they're, it's not fun. You're sick of standing in line. People just give up and they walk away. People start new games of Foursquare. It reminded me, actually, I usually just play like uh, very simple Foursquare, whatever. Old school, I don't know what you'd call it. Four square is what I call it. 
But I played with some kids, and we get in the Foursquare thing, and I've never met these kids before at this park, and we're playing. They said, okay, let's play Foursquare. And I'm like, I'm really good. You better watch out. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And he goes, uh, okay, cherry bomb, Jedi ball, spin around. If you get, and then he's like, if you get out, it's aerials, and then it's seven up. <laughs> it's like, okay, no idea. Can we just, do we still just hit the ball in squares? Or? And then he takes the ball, and he throws it at me, and it hits me, and he goes, you're out. Uh, what? That's, that's dodgeball. That's not that's a four square. He's like, no, no, because no, remember I called it. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on right now. And then another kid's like, we can't do cherry bombs. I hate cherry bombs. And then they start the, uh, the you know, seasonal four square argument of, are we going to play cherry bombs? Are we going to play Jedi ball? Are we going to play zombie ball? It's seven up, guys. No, bottle caps is the best. I don't know what any of this means. And then, so they just argue. So we're like, okay, are we going to play... We're not playing. I don't know when we're playing. And so we spend some time. Thankfully, maybe it was only a few minutes. And they're like, can we just play? Like, I'm old, so I don't know this. And they're like, oh, okay, the old guy doesn't know. We'll just play old school, actual four square. <laughs> this actually made me look up. I'm like, there's got to be a glossary. And someone has thankfully made uh, what they call the biggest list of four square uh, alternative rules. Let me just read a few of these to you. This is what I felt like. It says, you can play cherry bomb, Jedi ball, zombie ball, seven up aerials, bubbles, popcorn, double touches. Double touches are much like bubbles and popcorn, but slightly different. (laughs) Blackjack, bottle cap, bus stop, where the king calls bus stop and everyone else has to run away, but then someone else has to come back and get the ball. And if they don't, everyone's out. I don't even know what that means, but you can just yell bus stop. You can also yell death rally, which sounds pretty exciting. or death battle, or tea party, which all mean the same thing, where you have a head-to-head match and the loser is out. Death rally sounds way different than tea party, (laughs) but they're the same thing. You can call frenzies, grandfather clock, king's court, ice cream cone, poison, revenge, shark attack, skunk attack. I'm interested in that one. Typewriter, mini Michael Jordan, which is where you have to play on your knees. I have no idea what Michael Jordan (laughs) is in the mix. This is my favorite rule. They said there's a rule called resurrection. If you're the king, it's a little gospel. If you're the king and you get out, you can yell resurrection within three seconds and then you're resurrected back into the king position, (laughs) which means you're never, you're always the king. I'm gonna use that next time to share the gospel with some kids at the park. I'm sure they're gonna love. (laughs) Speaking of resurrection, guys, you know about Jesus? (laughs) I'm sure they'll love that chat. Um, this, I mean, have you had this? Maybe you're playing baseball when you're a kid. Uh, maybe you're playing soccer at a park and you realize we just spent half of our time arguing. What's right, what's wrong, who's in, who's out. You, you decide who's in charge and who's not in charge and the person in charge just gets to decide who's in or out. This sounds a lot like religion. Meanwhile, the whole time you never played Foursquare. The whole time I never actually enjoyed a game of Foursquare. I never got the thrill of diving and hitting a ball in. I never got the thrill of doing a backhand shot behind me and making it. I never got the thrill of making it all the way to the king spot. All those, none of it's happening. I'm spending my time arguing over how it works and who works and new rules to make sure it works. And then someone gets in charge and, they, and the, the power goes to that, you know, they become like these overlords of the four square court and they just yell resurrection over and over again and they never get out. 
I'm getting hit with balls. I don't know why. And in the end, I say, I don't know, are we even playing Foursquare now? What a great, I mean, Jesus, what a great little moment for him to say, you're like these squabbling kids and you're missing it. All around you, people are being healed. This woman's kid just was raised from the dead. We should be like throwing a party. And you're going, uh, I, don't, I don't think Jesus fasts enough. I don't, I don't think I can follow him. You're missing the glory of this changed lives around you. We're trying to figure out Jesus. We're looking if he aligns with what we think God should look like, the Messiah should look like. And we say, nah, it's okay, I, I don't. In fact, to the point we're gonna see in the gospels, Jesus will, they're, they're gonna find a way to kill him, get rid of this guy. They don't like his rules. They don't like how he plays and they're missing it. And so Jesus goes, you know, I'm gonna go play Foursquare with these people. We're gonna have a great time playing some Foursquare uh, and you guys can keep arguing over here. It's usually what happens. That's why there's more than one Foursquare court at playgrounds because there's the squabble court where all the kids can fight and then there's like the kids who just wanna play Foursquare court. We're saying, Jesus, I want freedom. I want forgiveness. I want a family. I want to know that I'm loved. I want to be made whole and healed. I want rest. And he says, yes, that's why I'm here. And you go, eh, it's not the way though I necessarily want it. I want to be rescued. I want to be saved. And they say, I don't know. I don't know. It makes me think of just math, being an old mathlete. I think how... I just want to figure out. I want even the glory of figuring out. I love that feeling. So I'm trying to do the math. And Jesus has already solved it. He's going, we figured it out. Let's enjoy this. Can you enjoy this? I'm right here. I'm right with you. This, this happens. I, I, I can feel, sometimes I feel like, yeah, what, what am I doing? And then I'm reminded this is like every human state that we're in. It's hard to believe grace and to move towards God. This is a moment where Jesus is with his disciples. And, they, and he's saying to them, he's reminding them, of this good truth. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus is saying, it's okay, I'm, I'm going. He's, this is, he's in the last supper with his disciples and he's saying, I'm gonna die. And he says, but I'm going somewhere to prepare a place for you. I'm going ahead of you so that you'd have a home with the father in heaven in his family, in his kingdom. I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus says this passage that probably many of us know. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You're, you're looking at it. Uh, me, relationship with me. You look to me not a system you've created, a game you've made to play, but me, I'm right here. I'm here to rescue you. I'm the way to the Father. I'm the way to truth. I'm the way to life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And you go, and the disciples go, you're right. You're the way. The next thing that's said, Philip says, Lord, Show us the Father that we will be enough, <laughs> that will be enough for us. The sentence before it, Jesus just said, if you want to know the Father, you know me, I'm right here. And he goes, cool, how do we know the Father? 
They're, it's the same. They're, they're broken. They're sinful. It's really hard to go. It's just you. The, the way is to turn to you and to say yes to the work that you've done. It, it is hard. I think because we think there's lots of other things first before that. And then we're changed by him. And then his word comes alive. And then he teaches us what it looks like to follow him. And, and scripture becomes a different thing in our lives. And we have people around us who are going to help us live a life Jesus has called us to. But the first thing is to turn to him. And even his disciples in this moment say, oh, okay, but wait, what? That's the, so I think there's this moment we have every single day where we have to make this decision. Are we going to be squabbling children with ourselves and each other, or are we going to trust in Christ? Does Christ fit into my kingdom? Is a question to ask yourself, or does Christ's kingdom transform me? Am I going, okay, Jesus, I like these things, and I'm cool with that. We've, we've had people come to our church and say, I think, um, I heard that like people at your church politically align this way, and so I think I'll come to that church, because I think you fit with how I already believe the world works. And you're like, no, oh, that's, really not how it works, actually. We want you to come and Jesus change you, and then you're going to go into the world. It's not because of a political party you picked, or because of a certain way you live, or a certain way you look, or a certain way you talk. We want all to come to Christ and be transformed by him, not come to him because he kind of fits. Or come to him and say, well, I'm going to take these parts of you, or this part, and leave this part. Christ is saying, I just, I want all of you. And all around us, he's changing lives. He's restoring people. He's bringing people back from the dead. And we, spend, we can spend our time not turning to him and resting in him and letting him transform us, but deciding if he fits what we think is true and right and what's going to change the world. I, I find this all the time in my life when I'm having a moment and I think like, what's, what's off? And like, oh, I've all day have been trying to, trying to like uh, crowbar Jesus into what I think today is supposed to look like. And it didn't happen. And I go, Jesus, you didn't make my day happen the way I wanted to. Instead of, I'm going to come to you because I know you bring life and restore and give me rest. And, and I'm going to allow you to decide what that looks like. What that looks like is a passage for us at, at Hope Heights here is a, one of the core passages that uh, led us to start to plant our location here and, and even uh, to continue this, our ministry here. It's one of the reasons why this week we're going to spend time working with Seika and caring for the school because we want to bring that good news in different ways to those people. There's a moment when uh, the church is being persecuted and people are scattered all over and we get this little story uh, in this town with Philip. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, for instance, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. He went and proclaimed this good news that Jesus came first to proclaim and to, to actually do. He actually went to the cross to die and, and raised from the dead. And he's going, hey, someone has come and done it. He's here. It's a similar way that John the Baptist did. So he goes and does this. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he had performed, they heard this good news. And now the spirit of God that was raising people from the dead with Jesus is now in Philip and his followers and us. And Philip goes, now the same thing's going to happen. They're going to watch people be healed. When they see these things, something happens. They heard Philip and they saw these signs. They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. It's the same story. Now it's just 
God's given his spirit to his disciples, to his family, his church, and now they get to go and show who Jesus is and now people get to respond to that good news. They either get to squabble and figure out, I don't think that's how it works. This is how stuff actually works. Or they get to be changed by seeing the jubilee of jubilees in their presence. And then what happens? So there was great joy in that city. This is our dream as, as a church Uh, any church, I'd hope. This is the dream that we would see great joy in our city because Jesus has pushed out darkness and has healed the lame. It's this moment where like good news, truth, good gospel is proclaimed and people's lives are changed. Not because they figured it out and because that fit into how they, it's because they were changed by the good news of the gospel uh, outside of themselves. They just turn to Jesus and go, wow, you are the one who's come to rescue us to open our eyes. This reminds this week I was reading, uh, again, a uh, history of Juneteenth. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, a uh, uh, really cool holiday um, and that we like to celebrate here at Hope. And Juneteenth is this moment that uh, at the end of the proclamation, uh, Emancipation Proclamation after the Civil War, uh, it's the moment where the last enslaved people in our country were told they were free. So it took actually a while. It was in Galveston, Texas. And this is the location, this church here. Um, this is Reedy Chapel. It's an AME church in, um, in Galveston, Texas. And in 1865, uh, a military came down there and they came to announce it officially. Like, so official people had authority said, hey, it's official. People are all equal. There's slavery has ended. And this is one of the places. So throughout this town, on this day, June 19th, 1865, people throughout the town gathered and they gathered African-Americans and all people and they said, can you imagine this? They stood up on, on, uh, on balconies and they stood up in churches and said, here, there's something really important. And they proclaimed this word. They said, the people of Texas are informed that in the accordance with the proclamation it's the Emancipation Proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. And the story is that they proclaim that and like parties broke out. Can you imagine being in a church and hearing you're free? There was, a, there was a change in that moment of people. And so the first Juneteenth parties started or some even called them Jubilee celebrations because it felt like the day of Jubilee <laughs> They're finally free. So tomorrow on on June 19th and even all weekend throughout our city, there's Juneteenth celebrations where people are celebrating this day when when this was proclaimed and the last people finally were told this. It it makes me feel like I imagine this moment back in our gospels when Jesus stands before people and says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You'd hope that'd be a moment you hear that and you go, it's here. We're free. All of you who are enslaved to sin, who are prisoners to your flesh, who Satan is deceiving, you're free. I've come to free you. And you'd hope we'd break out in celebration and worship to the one who frees us. And sometimes we decide instead to squabble over if he is the one who brings us freedom and we never get to play the game. The other cool thing about this passage is that it reminds us, he mentions the kids are squabbling over a wedding and a funeral which is an opportunity for us 
to remember a day that we would say in history is a funeral and a wedding. This is the answer. So, so what do I do? I have to just stop thinking about, is Jesus right? I have to stop thinking about how to follow Jesus. I just, just say yay to Jesus. Like, what does that look like? Well, it looks like spending our day continuing to turn to Jesus and remembering the moment when all these things changed, when he did free us, when he changed our lives, when he did restore people and bring people back from the dead. And that's the day he was on a cross, the funeral of funerals, the day when Christ himself, our God, came and was crucified on a cross. An innocent man did not deserve this terrible death, but instead took it for us himself, proclaiming good news to us and giving us lives restored while his was taken from him, bearing the sin of all people, the isolation that comes from that sin, a funeral of funerals for the one who never should have died, but did die, needed to die so that we could have life. And that's a day we do mourn and we do cry because we cry and we weep over our sin that put Jesus on a cross. And so that's a day that a dirge is played and, it, and every day we can say, we put you there and mourn over our sin in the same moment we can celebrate like we do at a wedding. In fact, that's how God even describes our relationship with Jesus. It's the wedding of all weddings where God's bride, his unfaithful people who turn to other people to worship aren't left. That God pursues this unfaithful bride even to death to win her back that the bride of Christ can sing and dance at the wedding because Christ, her bridegroom, has made it possible through his sacrifice for us again to be made alive. A funeral and a wedding all in one moment that draws out our deepest mourning and our most joyful singing because our bridegroom has come to rescue us. That's, that's the good news. That's the, that's the good news that will change us and allow us to live this life where we actually are getting into the kingdom of God instead of waiting and figuring out if it fits what we think it should look like. This is the prayer. This is the answer to it. It's not stop squabbling. The answer is turn to Jesus and remember this, and this changes you. This is the moment that's proclaimed to us, all slaves are free. All sinners are forgiven. All people can be called sons and daughters of God. That's really good news. This is what I'd hope each day would change us. I'm gonna invite our worship team up. We're gonna do that now. We're gonna worship God together. We're gonna respond to this. A couple of things to consider as we respond here at Hope. Uh, we like to do it in a few different ways. Um, we like to th consider some things. Here's a few things to consider from this that are hitting me. Uh, do you know Jesus, your faithful bridegroom? It's an opportunity to say yes to him. Why is it so hard? Maybe consider why is it so hard to say yes to Jesus? When is it hard to accept the grace of God in your life? Consider who encourages you to look to Jesus or even who needs to know that God has figured this all out in Christ. Who do you know in your life who you say, oh, I wish my friend knew this and believed this. Who's that person that you could turn to or start praying for or even share this good news with? So consider that. We also take communion every week. It's the opportunity our whole service builds this moment where we remember what Christ has done, his death and resurrection. We do that out in the hallways. So you don't have to be a member here at Hope. We just ask your follower of Jesus. You go out in the hallway and we have a cracker and grape juice and you can take those to remember his broken body, his shed blood, the thing, the wedding and the funeral that gives us life, that changes us. 
We also encourage you to pray. Take some time. There'll be people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you for anything. You can even just say, I need prayer. You don't have to tell them even what it's for, and they'd love to pray for you. They'll be in the back of the room with a yellow lanyard on. We also respond just by giving, just by saying, God, I feel generous because you are generous. And so we encourage you to do that. You can do that in a little black box on the communion table or online. Let me pray for us as we continue to worship here together. Lord, you have come to make us free from sin and death and Satan. And I want to celebrate that. I pray now as we sing, our voices would be, it would come out of that heart that we'd say, this is incredible. You've rescued us. It's true. You are the one who has come. And that we could even shed off maybe all the ways we want to figure it out, all the, all the pride that is causing us to turn from you or say, I got it figured out that, that you shed those things off of us right now, that they'd, they'd drop off of us to the floor and that we could just worship you humbly with joy and peace and comfort in our hearts knowing that you're good. You're really good to us, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' good, good name. Amen.